we're at the Father's Church, January 5th, the year 2020. We're so glad to have each of you here. I'm going to be talking about Peter today, and I'd like to touch on several things. The truth that Peter writes, uh, for one, his ministry, the man himself, his humility, so many things I like about Peter. The message is entitled, The Deep Yet Humble Writings of Peter. And for those of you who are listening or looking at the Saints Network um, website, the, uh, the lesson is there uh, just below where you listen. <laughs> so look below that and you'll see copy of our lesson today. Peter's deep, yet he's also very humble. And I wanted to start by asking you, have you ever wondered which apostle or which notable character uh, in the Bible that you would be the most like if you lived in those days? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I have. I sound like Andy Rooney today. Well, I know I have. Um, and and I, more I think about it, the more I believe that my decisions would be more situational than, than me being like someone for my whole life. Just, I would have far more highs and lows than, than some of these people would have, especially the lows. Um, in all honesty, and <clears throat> these great saints are are very impressive to me and I, I guess to all of us and um, probably thinking too much about myself if I think that I would be like any of them but I think all of us um, would be more like Peter than a lot of the Bible characters is what I'm getting to um, is in the beginning of our relationship our commitment to Christ and the reason I say that is um, it's because in, the, in our very beginnings of walking with Christ, we brought with us so many strong opinions that are just absolutely wrong. And we realize that now, don't we? Absolutely wrong. Uh, we were wrong about people. We were wrong about what salvation was. Uh, we were wrong about... Um, the motives that people would have, why we would do things and why they would do things, we were wrong about. We were even wrong about what was right and wrong, weren't we? Wrong about everything, it seems, and had to relearn how to behave, how to live this committed life that we have endeavored so much to live. And when we consider the, the vast difference between the Peter who was so egotistical and strong within himself when he before and even in the beginning of his great conversion to Christ and we think about what he became in his older years what a tremendous change we see in this man and I'm I'm just pray that that uh, for all of us, but for myself too, that there would be a vast difference 
between what I was then and what I will one day be. And uh, as we continue to grow in Christ. <clears throat> like the other epistles, Peter's epistle uh, and his two epistles, I should say, are circular letters. Uh, which means that they were to be widely shared among the churches. People they trusted would take the letter and go from church to church to church with all these epistles that we're looking at in the New Testament. And they would be a very trusted person who would go there and they would read the letter and share it. And then other tr trusted people there would make copies of the transcript. And that's the way they communicated the truths of God's word um, in these epistles in the New Testament. So this letter, this uh, letter that that we're going to uh, look at this morning, Peter's first epistle, was to be a circular letter, and we know that by especially by the way he begins. And Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, in First Peter one, verses one and two, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Having read that, now we can go on to the really the meat of what Peter wants to say in his epistle. And I'm, I'm afraid that that's the way we often read the first two or three verses of an epistle, isn't it? That, okay, that's the introduction. Now what does this person want to say? But there's so many beautiful truths in what he has said in these first two epistle, uh, uh, verses of this epistle. I'd like to spend the hour on this. And... You're probably wondering how in the world you spend a whole hour on these two verses. And uh, I'll talk slow. How's that? You see a map there at the bottom of page one. And I found it interesting that this circular letter Peter uh, has written, he talks about these churches. And if you'll notice where these churches are located, it is a circular format if you look at it on the map isn't that in that neat circular format for a circular letter <clears throat> could well have been that that was the route that the messenger traveled to go from all of these to all of these places and there were many places to go to for these churches scattered around but look at the first one Pontus if you look in the, that map you see the Black Sea and the very first piece of land below that identification says Pontus. Bithynia, you see that? Bithynia and Pontus. The next one to the west or to the right is Galatia. And Galatia is the next one that he's mentioned. And it goes from the Black Sea in a vertical pattern that's, that snakes around all the way down to the, to the Mediterranean. The next one to the west is Cappadocia, and that goes all the way down, almost but not quite to the Mediterranean. Stops just above Tarsus. 
if you follow what his thinking is, you can see that's a clockwise motion, right? So far, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, all the way down to the Mediterranean, and we follow that southern shore there all the way around to the east to Ephesus. The next thing he's talking about is Asia, all right? Or as they like to say it at that time, Asia. And the next one is Bithynia. Well, if you look all the way up to where we started, there's Bithynia, Bithynia and Pontus. So there's a circular motion that he's uh, lined up for or lined uh, or described for us in, the, in that map. I found, found that very interesting. But let's look at Asia, Asia, for a moment. <clears throat> when that was discussed in those days, Asia was what is known as Asia Minor today. And uh, it's usually only referred to the western shore, but certainly the western part of that vast piece of land. <clears throat> and uh, as used here, this means all of Asia Minor, with Ephesus as its capital. And so Peter's letter to the churches uh, is, is to an area of over a thousand miles east to west, okay, in that area we described, and over 400 miles north and south. It is roughly the area of modern-day Turkey. If you look at Turkey on the map, it is very close to what Peter has described as these churches that he's writing to. And the next thing he talks about is the first word in verse 2 I'd like to discuss is elect. <clears throat> Electos, which means chosen. Chosen. There are only four elects identified in the Bible. Number one, Christ is the elect. He was elect. Israel is referred to as elect. There's multiple times there. Angels are referred to as elect. And number four, all Christians are referred to as elect. You and I are elect. And there are the verses there that, that show that we are elect um, as, as Christians. The Jews were convinced that they were the only elect of God for centuries. And they were the only chosen people. They called themselves the chosen people. The Holy Spirit has completely changed Peter's opinion about who is elect. And Peter says so right here in First Peter. Verse 2. Elect. The next word I'd like to talk about there is elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Um, and he calls them strangers. Strangers, that's in verse 1. Strangers. Customarily, strangers is a, is, is a term used only for the identification of the elect referring to the Jews. And they were of the dispersion, including those that were converted to Judaism in those faraway lands or even in Israel. But especially in the faraway lands where they were referred to as people who were missing from Jerusalem. They were strangers. 
they were in another land. They were not in Israel. They may have been in that other land for centuries, but they're still referred to as foreigners in the Jewish culture because they were pilgrims, they were sojourners, they were strangers in the land that they were lived in, no matter how long they'd been there, because they were not in Israel. It was okay that they weren't in Israel, but they were called pilgrims or strangers. And they were temporary travelers. <clears throat> they were the chosen of God to live among those who were not chosen. And that's why they were called strangers. They belonged to Israel. And Peter uses this word, strangers, definitely. Very de uh, determined to tell us that strangers is the word that he's referring to all Christians. He now is making no difference between Christians. If you are following Christ, no matter where you came from, no matter what your nationality, no matter what nation you were from, or race, or, or color, economic status, you're a stranger in the foreign land because you believe and your spirit is with Christ. You have the Holy Spirit in you, but you're living in a place where not everyone believes. And so you are strangers in this land. You and I are strangers in the land that we live in here in Dallas. Um, <clears throat> They are the chosen of God to live among those who are not chosen. That's how we are in the spirit. So now, however, this term is includes all who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Strangers. Some are stranger than others. <laughs> That's a different topic. Tammy will talk about that next week. So that's Peter's endearing term, which now refers to Jesus' followers, the church. It's now a term of recognized sanctification and holiness. He goes on uh, to say more about this in verse 15 and 16, the first chapter. But as he which hath called, the word there is kletos, that means invited, He's invited you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But ye are a chosen, eclectos again, selected. You're a selected people, a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar, the word there is ice, which means continually, in so much that, all right? We are a peculiar people, insert joke here, okay? <clears throat> so, that we should, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath call, uh, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's invited us to come out of darkness. Invitation. 
into his marvelous light. First Peter 2 9. Peter declares that, that we are one church in the strongest of terms without regard to any other affiliation we may have had in the past. Today we should do no less than Peter. When we look at others who are serving Christ to the best of their ability and to the best of their understanding. I hope that's enough said there. The next phrase I'd like to talk about is in verse 2. It's foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, these strangers or elects have been chosen to be a continuing people according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now this is much more than a foreknowledge or knowledge ahead of time as we might first think. It's not only a foreknowledge or a knowledge ahead of time but it is a plan. It is according to his plan. These, those who are elect have made a choice to be sanctified by the Spirit. They're chosen because they have made the choice to submit themselves to Christ and live according to the purpose and the plan of God. Now they've chosen to respond to the call to be holy. Have you chosen to re respond to the call to be holy? Yes. Well, you were invited. I was invited. We were all invited. When we decided to commit and live this life, we became chosen. We became selected by God. We were invited, and then we were selected. Does that make sense? And we're called now that we've accepted his invitation. They've chosen to, to respond to the call to be holy. The Holy Spirit works through Peter to communicate these truths. And there's a vital importance to this, which we'll see later. We are to be God's people and to follow Christ's example. He goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, okay, ye were invited, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Then he talks about us being non-retaliatory, not rendering evil for evil, 1 Peter 3.9, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are hereunto called, you're invited, that ye should inherit a blessing. And to experience the eternal glory of Christ Jesus, 1 Peter 5:10 But the God of all grace who has called or invited us unto his eternal glory by Je by Christ Jesus after that ye have suffered a while make you perfect establish strengthen settle you Notice the progression here first perfect and then established and then strengthen and then settled. Does that look like a progression? It looks like some sanctification going on. It's a process. 
what's happening. We'll see some differences here, some further expansion on this thought in a little while. That's 1 Peter 5.10. Well, we know that Christ himself was chosen before the foundation of the world in God's plan to provide his blood as a ransom for those called and chosen, for those invited and for those who've been selected. 1 Peter 1.20 Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, speaking of Christ, but was manifest in these last days for you. I like the way Peter stated this in his first sermon in Acts 2.23. Him, speaking of Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Again, not just that he knew it. Not just that God knew it was going to happen. It's that God planned that it was going to happen. According to his purpose is what this foreknowledge of God refers to. Not just that he knew it was going to happen. This counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Well, so in the simplest terms, if I can just review it a second, we are all called. Okay, we're invited. Yet those who are chosen, okay, that means... We've been selected, have made the decision to follow Christ, and are righteous through the sanctification of the Spirit. That's verse 2. Matthew also refers to this truth, so it's confirmed in the Word in other places. Matthew 20, 16. So the last shall be first and the first last. For many are called, that's invited, but few are chosen. That's selected. Okay? Called, invited, and then selected. And then again in 22.14 of Matthew, for many are called or invited, but few are chosen or selected. It's repeated. And so we see the process that takes place, and you saw the progression after being selected in, those, in another verse before. Yet Peter is led by the Holy Spirit to remind us here at the beginning of his anointed letter that the purpose of being chosen by God is for two things. Obedience through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Our obedience is one way the grace and peace of God is multiplied. You've heard it said, that many come to Christ because of what they see in a Christian's life. And that's what this is saying here. Our obedience is one way grace, the grace and peace of God is multiplied. So we are chosen, we are selected by his sanctifying work of his spirit so that we would be obedient and draw people unto him. In addition, to move forward, not to stay there in our Christian walk, our Christian life, but to move forward. 
from here to move forward in the things of the Lord and grow in strength to accomplish the work God will place before us as our purpose. Okay, the sprinkling. Our choice and commitment to be holy or sanctified by the Spirit has two purposes. Obedience and moving forward. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. He's expanding on this thought. But as he which hath called or invited you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And in verse 22, Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. But ye are chosen. This is verse 2 and First uh, Peter 2 9 again. I just want to emphasize something else here. But ye are a chosen, that's again selected, generation, a royal priesthood. I like that. Did you know you're a royal priesthood? You look that up. Um, it speaks about being in a priestly fraternity. And not just a priestly fraternity among us today, but it goes way back. We're in a fraternity that belongs to Christ from the time that Christ offered his sacrifice. I'm in a fraternity with Peter. I like that. beginning I talked about uh, what would I do in those days if I was in that situation I read the Bible and I think about that okay that's what this person did that's what Peter did what would I have done it's kind of scary when you think about what you may have done in his times of trial may have run just like he did may have boasted like he did and then failed like he did right but then you see the life that developed as led by the Holy Spirit. Marvelous thing. And I'm in his fraternity. I was privileged to go to Evangel College. Not that other one. <laughs> We're all one now. And, and we didn't have fraternities in that college. But we had dormitories. And that was a, pretty much the same thing. And I'm on an email group. And I'm still <coughs> communicating <coughs> with the guys that I went to college with. And we're still, a we're still a fraternity, if I can use that word. I love these guys. They became family. 
and they tell us about their life, and I tell them about my life. And and uh, just this week, I got um, an email from a fellow that was there, and he was kind of a rough kid, had a lot of problems. And today, he uh, he has a ministry, the online. It's a devotional ministry, and he does a more. It's called Morning Cup of Joe. And he does a devotional every day, and he just published a book. And uh, he wrote, told us about his book. He said, "I didn't. I know you guys didn't think I would ever be published, punished maybe, <laughs> but not published." And God has done a tremendous work in his life, and and I've seen uh, guys that weren't too serious about things that now are because God has developed them. And I see, if I can go back, where God has really worked to make them perfect because they're covered in his blood, not because they're perfect. He established them. He strengthened them. And now he's settling them. In other words, they're not going up and down and as much as they used to be. They're more settled in his spirit with him. And I feel a close fraternity to them because I communicate with them all the time. And this group of ragtag guys is in the same fraternity as the disciples. And uh, not because we're good, but because the Christ we serve has made us good, covered us with his blood. Um, and so we're a holy nation, a peculiar, that's ice, continually. We're a continuing people. I find that very interesting, a continuing people. Or in as much as, or in so much that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called or invited you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we do that by two ways one by living the life, obedience, and the other by what we'll talk about next because of the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. And uh, there's a very good definition of this. In Line Upon Line, written by a member of our own class. Sprinkling of the blood of Christ. On page 124, volume one. Just as the blood was separated into two portions in the Old Testament, there's a difference between being born again, which is our, our sins being covered by the blood of Christ, leads us to obedience, right? But the, 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 uh, the, the other portion is the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. And this sprinkling 
is to enable us to move progressively forward into the deeper things of God. This sprinkling, which is foreseen in the, New, in the Old Testament, okay, is the point, gives us clout to the task at hand in divine manner and will also bring fresh life and empowerment to strategic junctures of the development of our calling. It will renew the vitality and the vision of the Lord within us. This sprinkling is an anointing. It's an anointing, if we can put it that way, for service, for moving forward in Him, for receiving and understanding His purpose for our lives, short-term and long-term, and for the giving of strength as we do our best to fulfill the mission that God has given us, these projects, the short-term things, and the long-term. That's the sprinkling. So we have the covering and we have the sprinkling. Peter's saying this all in the first two verses. And so often we just skip right through the introductions, don't we? And look what's there. Absolutely beautiful truth. Now, I haven't touched on all of it today. But I wanted to talk also about the man for just a little bit, as I said in the beginning. Um, but first, just as a reminder, there's a word, and uh, it's a loud word. <laughs> and it's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was already carving out a place within the early church at the writing of Peter's first epistle about 60 years A.D. It was, a it was like a plague, a disease that was going through the church in nearly every place the church existed. Gnosticism was not a new thing, it's an old thing, and it diluted everything it was a part of way before Christianity. People would join a group, in our case, Christianity, they would hear the truth, and they would see the vast difference between the truth and how society lived. They thought, well, we got to bridge the gap. We got to become more acceptable to society, and so what we need to do is change this truth and change that truth, and not make it such a big difference between what society believes and how they live, and how we live and believe. Aren't you glad they don't do that today? <laughs> The influence of Gnosticism still exists, and we see it every day as we read about and hear about major denominations adopting a change in what they're going to believe, a change that gets them farther away from the truth of God's Word. In that day, 
it was it was incredible what they were getting people to believe. And rather than leave the church, they were trying to change the church from within. Peter, John, Paul, they all fought it. They all, as leaders, they all fought it. Um, many were convincing, just as an example, new followers that Jesus was a spirit being. He wasn't a physical being at all. And so he really didn't suffer on the, Christ, on the, on the cross because he was a spirit being. There's a lot more to that. That's just one of them. Um, some were saying that, that Jesus and God were one, and so God died you know, on the cross. Um, they were talking about whether or not there was a heaven and a hell. They decided there was no heaven or hell, no life after death. Ever hear that today? So the influence is still among us, isn't it? Um, there were still remnants of the Jews that, that treated the Gentiles as second-class citizens. I mean, with all of this going on, it, it, makes, it, it gives Peter and John and Paul and the rest of them a full-time job, doesn't it? To teach and correct properly. And in these first two Peter, uh, uh, verses, this is what Peter has done. Such an amazing job of at the direction of the Holy Spirit. So blatant heresies from this Gnostic influence were, influence were, and they are today. They seemingly never end. There's a new one all the time. So Peter declares the truth emphatically in these first two verses. The strangers who are now the church of Christ Jesus are one. We are one church. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, what you were before in any way. You are one with Christ and one with us. Does that mean that People don't take a church the wrong way. Of course not. It does change. But those who are following Christ to the best of our understand, their understanding are one with us. Or we just need to know that, don't we? Treat them like that. And see them that way as we interact and go our ways that we go to minister. We are the elect, okay, we're the chosen, we're the selected. According to the foreknowledge, the plan of God through the Holy Spirit, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all of these things he's saying in the first two verses, his blood covering of our sins and the anointing, the sprinkling of the blood for the work that he's purposed for us is his plan, in his plan, for us. And that God is the Father of Jesus. He makes that clear in the first two verses. They are two of the three distinct members of the Godhead. We know the Holy Spirit is the third, don't we? They're distinct, they're not the same. And that Jesus died for our sins and we are born begin again because of him and his resurrection 
and we believe in him. And Peter wrote this epistle from Babylon, having traveled east <coughs> from Jerusalem, when Paul <coughs> and others traveled west. Yet they both enjoyed the company of one Silas. Remember Paul and Silas? They both enjoyed the company of Silas ministering with them. Imagine that. His proper name being Silvanus in their ministry. And in 1 Peter 5.12, he says, by Silvanus, and it is agreed <laughs> by most all who study it that that's the same guy as, as accompanied Paul. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. Well, Silvanus had also taken part in establishing, among others, uh, the churches in the region of Macedonia. I've got another map there. And you see this right sort of in the middle to, to the right, this great big letter, uh, word Babylon. That's where Babylon is. It's where Peter was writing from. And I know that uh, many thought that it was a metaphor for Rome because it was such an immoral place they called Rome Babylon. I won't get into that. My, uh, my own belief is Babylon. But look how far that is from where he was ministering with Paul because in the top of, on the left you see Europe and just below that Thrace. That was that area of Macedonia where Thessalonica was. That's a long way from where Peter was. Well, that's the travel of Silvanus, Silas. In that six-year period or so, could have been a little more. In 1 Thessalonians 1.1, we read Paul and Silvanus, same guy, and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, why bring this up now? Why is this important? Well, I wanted to talk about the man as well as the truth that he wrote, as well as his humility. And so, that's what we're doing now. Many believe that Peter's epistle was far too classically writ written, in other words, too educated, for it to be written by an uneducated fisherman. Couldn't be Peter. That is not the writing of someone who is uneducated like Peter, this, this fisherman that had no schooling. Um, and, and that Sylvanus must have penned Peter's words. Well, this is not too hard to conceive when considering Peter's next verse. Because in 1 Peter 5.13, just one verse after the one we just read, 
Peter writes, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Peter's referring to John Mark, and he calls him my son, which is a very common expression that is used for, and, and, and Paul wrote this a lot when he talked about my little children. John the same way, my little children. Talking about people he had converted <laughs> to Christ. And so it it's, uh, follows that John Mark, surname Mark, was, a, was converted by Peter. And that's why he calls him my, own, my son my son in such a way that he would be someone that I brought to Christ. And that John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark was too young to be around when all of those things happened. And if he was alive he was still too young to really be able to write about it. Um, and so um, John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark due to his time spent with Peter and, of course, other disciples, I'm sure. And it's even more commonly believed that this Gospel was more the words of Peter. This Gospel of Mark was more the words of Peter. And the recordings or the transcription of Mark. How many times have you said something that you wanted somebody else to write? And they started to write it down and say, well, do you want to change this part of the sentence and make it more clear? How about if we said this? How about if I need somebody like that? <laughs> I don't know if you do or not. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's say that because that's, that's better. That's more clear. So it, Paul had spoken his epistles and someone else wrote the transcript but it was led of the spirit and after this transcript was scribed it was proofed and approved by Paul by Peter and the others in that style of writing so it could well very well it could have very well been Silas but it doesn't change anything about what is written because it was led by the Spirit and approved by Peter who spoke the original word. And the same thing with Mark. There's a, a lot of criticism of Peter in Mark and those are Peter's words. Um, so Mark is believed to be a convert of Peter. This term, my son, is, is uh, you see it there as mobios, mobios, is believed to be an enduring term, commonly used as one who has con been converted. It was Mark's home, by the way, that Peter went to when he miraculously walked out of prison years earlier. Remember when the gates just fell and he walked out? 
walked out of prison, went to the house. They couldn't believe they were praying for him to be released. There he was at the front door, and they didn't believe he was there. <laughs> Shut the door on him. <laughs> he, had to, he had to knock again. All right, let's read Acts 12, 12. And when he had considered, talking about Peter, and when Peter had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And the story goes on. So that was Mark's house, his mother Mary. The extent of Peter's life and ministry has an impact on the New Testament that is enormous, and yet it's largely unheralded. Those are pretty significant parts of the New Testament, don't you think? First, second Peter, and Mark. So I'm continually impressed by his formerly egotistical life, having been changed to one of such humility. And if that can happen to him and make him what he was, I, for one, have a lot to learn from the life of Peter. How many need humility? Okay, I got my hand up. The rest of you are just fine. Okay. <laughs> remember the pa a pastor who had given a few sermons on pride and humility with the emphasis on humility and at the end of that series one of the ladies stood to testify and said I used to be the most conceited person in this church. Now I'm the most popular. So she needed to go through and listen to those tapes. So I'm continually impressed by him. And not him, but what he allowed God to do through him and to him first to him and then through him so God has changed all of us in so many ways as with Peter may we also give him all the praise for the success of whatever ministry we participate in and live our lives in similar humility as Peter has found so that concludes what I had to say this morning. I sure thank you for being such a good listener, a good audience. Anything someone would like to say? Well, one of the things I like about the, the first verse, besides, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful. It, you know, it, just, it says so much, but the fact that they were... Um, committing themselves to uh, the process of restoration, that holiness, sanctification that you talked about. Um, you know, we know that certainly that is a personal pursuit. We have to all be 
changed and transformed by the Spirit um, in this point of restoration for all of us. But we, in order to minister to others and to minister that restoration to others, we have to be changed. And, right. and to me, that is, if you want to talk about what sets someone apart as chosen or someone who's actually living the life of the Spirit, that's, that's the defining point to me. Yeah. Because... You know, even whenever I was in church here at Lakewood before, you know, we began to seek the Lord in prayer and commit, you know, I know I committed my life in a, in a different way. I mean, how, I was not changed in those years. And no one I was hanging out with was changed. You know, and I, I can't speak for everyone because I wasn't close to everyone in the church at that time. But I do know that, you know, we, we came here, we listened to the Word, we worshipped and you know no one was knocking over piggly wigglies and stuff like that but no one was really being changed to the evidence that I could de determine and I know I wasn't I'm just confessing that for sure and um, if there was one thing that set us apart afterwards were the people who still were not willing to be changed because as they were confronted with probably a prideful issue in their own life you know, they became offended over something, whatever it was. I mean, it happened to me a million times. I mean, it happened to me a million times. I had to humble myself in those situations. I had to be willing to be changed in my mind and my opinions and all my perspectives to be changed. But that, again, was what set us apart. That was, that was the gulf that could not be crossed for some. And so that, to me, is what really sets an elect person apart, is a person who's willing to be changed, who's willing to go through that process because... It is the most difficult thing that any of us have done. It's the hardest thing to do is, even if you're not admitting yourself to others that you're wrong, even admitting it just to yourself sometimes yeah. is the hardest thing to do. To say, okay, I'm willing to let this go. I'm willing not to be right here. I'm willing not to have my way here. I'm willing not to get what I want here. I'm willing to you know, just submit to this path that you know, I'm not liking at all in this very moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not liking nothing about it. And yet, you say, I accept. You know, Father, whatever it is, I accept. That's the hardest thing every one of us has had to do for over 20 years. And it's, it doesn't stop. You know, it didn't happen once. Anyway, I just, that, like you said, I, I love the fact that you focused on this, the beginning of this epistle, because, I mean, like you said, there, those four or five things are just paramount to the walk of every Christian, just what he said in two sentences. Right, right. It just it, and it's something we just fly by without paying much attention sure. to. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to do. Okay, let's see what he really wants to say. Well, he's already said. It. <laughs> uh, and, I love it. What you're saying is that is that is um, referring to that word peculiar, which is ice, which is continuing. Because what you're describing is something we have to continue to do. It's not an event. <laughs> it's a continuing and the other thing. thing it's an everyday. Go ahead. This is according to, like you said, the plan of God. Yes. Boom. I mean, bottom line. Right. We walk according to the plan of God. Yeah. And we, we like to think that the plan of God does not include difficult situations. But that actually is. The plan yeah. of God are yeah. these difficult situations that that uh, challenge us and um, really require the change. 
Because no one is changing on the mountaintop. Yeah. I mean, yes, the presence of the Lord is always going to impact you and change maybe your perspective of who he is as a person, but the iniquity within is not changed by that. Right. Only our submission. Well, I, I take that back because God can do anything. I think there were many changes that happened to me in the beginning that I didn't have to do. I mean, he just said, boom, I'm, I'm taking this away. But there were a thousand other things <laughs> yeah. that he left for me to walk out. So I'm not saying you can't be changed by his presence and all that. So that's really not a very accurate, I don't think it's an accurate statement. But you know how it is. When you're in victory, you're not really changing in the moment of victory. You're celebrating the changes that have already occurred. You're mm -hmm. celebrating what you've walked through. Yeah. That's the point I was kind of Right. Yeah, it is. And that continuing is what you, what you have to work on. Right. And, and the way we work on it is, is to uh, humble ourselves before him to allow the change to take right. place. Right, and that's the only part you have. Yeah. Because yeah. he's still the one that changes you. Yeah. But you, you have to say, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll do it. <coughs> Good, thank you. Thank you. Splendid map, splendid. <laughs> <laughs> Maps. The map said so much. I couldn't have done it without the map. I mean, the map, <laughs> the map is the central part, right to those verses. I can see why they're set right together. It is pretty amazing to see the, the journeys and then all the territory and yeah. places that these guys went. It was just, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. A thousand miles was walking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they paid the price to get there. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, I mean, this is not the same thing, but it does remind me a lot of that trip to Brownsville that I know the first trip that I took in January that was freezing outside and it was raining and we were out there for 12 hours. <laughs> now, I mean, think about that. I mean, this, I, I know that at the time I probably didn't see any of the correlation of that other than just a frustration of, you know, of, of the situation. But when you look back, I mean, we, we are not knowing, but we paid a price for what we were giving what mm -hmm. we were given. And I know that, you know, we say that the gift of grace is free, and it is, but so often, you know, what we are willing to give of ourselves is how we're able to obtain what he's offering. Sure, the hungry receive. And so the yeah. fact that we all sat out there, and I mean, it was awful. I mean, we had so many raincoats, so many umbrellas. We were all, we looked like a band of sheep, literally, because we were just all stuck, huddled together in that line, trying to get, garner as much warmth from one another as we could. Yeah. <laughs> and we really, it was hard not to be jealous of the old people that they let us sit in the yeah. van. No. I think we should have taken turns. But that <laughs> if we're to look at, at first Peter, it reminded me of something. Um, his his uh, first letter are it is or are is instructions on how to live while you're suffering. To your point, and these two verses 
as we used to say, is he grease the skids? <laughs> Does he set the foundation for that teaching in these first two verses? In an amazing way. I know it's the Holy Spirit, but this is an amazing way to create or set the foundation for that kind of beautiful teaching in these first two verses. Let me just say, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but the very tag, last tag on that says grace unto you in peace be multiplied. Grace, the empowerment to do it and peace to do it successfully. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. I'm glad you pointed that out, Dennis. That's really cool. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else? Thank you all. And uh, pray that God will just, uh, whatever we need, that he'll just provide it. Uh, that something that we need to hear from today's lesson, that God will bless us in it. Father, we pray that you'll just uh, seal all of these words by your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our spirits. May your love abound within us. May we just be enabled for the task that you have before us by your spirit. In thy name we pray. Amen.